job, guys. So good. Jason, good job. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to you. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. Welcome. All of you in the overflow, God bless you. Welcome. We're so glad that you're a part of this worship service. Uh, welcome, Matt and Don Betts, this morning, our, our new minister of youth and young adults at Woodburn. We've waited a long time for you, man. A long, long time, and we're delighted to welcome you guys to our church. God bless you. Already we love you so much and welcome to you. Uh, Perry, Oklahoma, Church on the Square, Pastor Brian Ahern, we love you all and are thrilled to death at what they've started in Perry, Oklahoma, right on the square, across the square from Hebrews, uh, the, the coffee shop there and where Church on the Square worships. Uh, Church on the Square has opened a, a prayer room, a prayer closet. They call it a thin place. Uh, it comes from an ancient way of thinking about prayer as, as a thin place between us and God, a place where you can break through to God. And they've opened that prayer room called a thin place. And God bless you all. Uh, we pray, we pray that many, many will meet the Lord and talk to him there in, in that room. God bless your ministry. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Actually, we're talking about prayer today. We're still in the middle of the series entitled Fresh Encounter. Our church is seeking revival uh, our church is seeking re revival, and, and we're still waiting and praying and, and pushing toward that breakthrough for the Lord that we need so desperately, and, and we need it desperately. We're praying for revival for the Franklin campus. We're praying for revival for Church on the Square in Oklahoma. We, we are praying for God to do something new and move among his people, praying for revival in our, in our youth ministry, praying for revival in our children's ministry. We're just praying and, and waiting for God to move. I will be very, very honest with you. I have not been a good pastor when it comes to leading you in prayer. For, for 15 years, I don't think I, I've led you well. God has convicted me of that, and I'm definitely trying to, to, to grow myself and, and to grow you in, in ways of praying. I think in the last number of weeks, we've made some progress. I pray that we continue to make progress. I am struck by the fact that in Scripture, Jesus never teaches anybody how to preach. He does not pull his disciples to the side and give them instructions in preaching or teaching or anything else. Jesus never did that, but Jesus did on several occasions stop and try to teach his disciples how to pray. Did you understand? And what that means for me from the bottom of my heart, God is my witness. If I have any gifts in preaching, any gifts in teaching, any gifts in being a pastor whatsoever, I would trade all of them. I would trade them all in order to grow as a man of prayer. I would rather just be a man of, of prayer. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. As a dad, sometimes uh, we'll play games with our kids where we'll have pennies or, or treats in our hand. You ever done that? And you show the kid the treats, and then you make a fist, and then the kid comes and gets in your lap, and then they just start trying to pry your fingers open. And it's kind of a fun game. You just sort of have the treat inside your hand, and the kid will twist and make faces and try to pry your fingers open. And then finally, they'll pry your fingers open. They'll grab the pennies or the, or the gum or the treats, and they'll be gone. They'll grab the treats, they'll push their hand aside, they'll be out of your lap and gone. It's just kind of a fun game. What I want you to understand is that's how a lot of us approach prayer. That's how many of us come to God in prayer. We come to God in order to get the treats out of his hand. 
Are you following me? We want the treats out of God's hand. And we imagine that God is reluctant. We imagine that God is a God who holds these, these treats in his hand for us, the things that we want in, in life. But he holds them with a tight fist. And we imagine that in our prayers, we have to use words. We have to find words that will pry open God's hand so that God's hand will open and we can snatch the treats and, and be gone. You have to understand that's not what prayer is like. Prayer is not simply a way of prying treats from God's hand. Do you understand? There is so much more, so much more that God wants to give us in prayer. So much more for us in prayer. So, so let's go to scripture. Luke chapter 11. One of the occasions where Jesus stops and instructs his disciples about prayer. We know that he did it more than one time. We have several instances in scripture where Jesus stops and talks about prayer. When we get to verses 2, 3, and 4, we're going to get to a prayer that you think you know, but it's going to disturb you because it's not the way you think it's supposed to go. Understand, Jesus taught them how to pray on several occasions, and he didn't always give them the model prayer in the same words. In Scripture, we have several versions of it. So understand, Jesus on several occasions tried to teach these lessons because these are lessons that disciples need to know how to pray. So with me in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Stand if you want out of reverence for God's word. Let's come to the Lord today and let him teach us how to pray. Before I start, one of the things you have to notice is part of what made the disciples want to learn to pray is when they, they saw Jesus pray. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and don't let us yield to temptation. Then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom window, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night. My family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need. But because of your shameless persistence, and so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more? Take your seats. It's a famous missionary story from, from years ago 
of a whole tribe of people that, that came to Christ. They became new Christians. And as a part of becoming a new Christian, of course, there's a process of discipleship that, that begins. And the missionaries taught the, these tribes people to pray, to, to go out every single morning and find an, an alone place and seek the Lord in prayer and, and in Scripture. And that's what the people in this tribe began to do. They lived in small huts in the bush, but they began habits. All the men, all the women would get up every morning and, and, and all by themselves, they would, they would make out a place. They would find a place in the bush where they would go and say their prayers every day. The people started this habit, and it was a good habit. And every single day, a man, a woman would, would, would rise from their hut. They would walk a path, and it was a path that they themselves would wear. Do you understand? You can't wear a path in a single day. It's day after day after day of returning to the same spot. And, and that's what they would do. They would rise, and they would go to their spot in the bush. And, and day by day, they would wear a path, a, a dust path, between their hut and their place of prayer. So here's the thing. They began uh, in that church there in that village a way of encouraging one another because as it turned out, if a person began to become a little bit lazy in their prayers, if their prayer habits began to fall off, they would notice. They would notice it in the path. And so in church, they began to encourage one another by simply saying, friend, there's grass growing on your path. Friend, there's grass growing on your path. Friend, as your pastor this morning, I just want to ask you, is there grass growing on your path? I'm talking about your prayer life. Now, as our church seeks revival, as we seek a fresh encounter from the Lord, you've got to understand, prayer is ingredient to revival. You can't have any kind of encounter with God apart from prayer. Prayer is the very heart of your life in Christ. It is the very heart of a spiritual life. And most every fruit that comes from faith, it's going to come from prayer. If someone wanted to know something about your Christian life right now, honestly, they could learn almost everything they need to know just by studying your prayer life. I would go so far as to say this, whatever words you would use to describe your prayer life right now, those are probably the same words we could use to describe everything about your Christian life. Your prayer life is your relationship with God. Do you understand that? Outside of communication, outside of time spent together, there is no relationship. And if truly Christ died on the cross in order to reconcile us to God, in order that we could have a relationship with God, then prayer is the everyday experience, the, the everyday expression, the everyday celebration of that relationship. It, it all comes down to prayer. You're talking to God. You're being with God. Is there grass growing on your path? Now, I know what happens when, when I start a sermon in, in this way about prayer. I, I know by firsthand. I know that the enemy, the devil, doesn't want any of us to grow in our praying. As a matter of fact, as long as you're not praying, the devil's not very concerned about you at all. He's got you where he wants you. You understand? He's got you where he wants you. If you're, even call yourself a Christian, if you're not a praying Christian, the devil has you exactly where he wants you. You're not going to grow. You're not going to experience the joy of salvation. You're not going to have nothing. 
from Christ. Because understand, all of these things are experienced on an everyday basis in prayer. So the devil is going to fight your prayer life. And the moment you start thinking about prayer or the moment you begin to bend your knee to pray, the devil goes to work. That's why praying is so difficult. Such a simple thing as talking to God becomes so difficult because that is where the devil's going to oppose you. He's going to attack you there. And one of the first things he will do is just start whispering in your ear that you're no good at it. Do you understand? The minute you start to pray, the devil will start to tell you that you don't know what you're doing. He'll start telling you that, that, that your prayer isn't going to do any good, that you never pray, that you're not very faithful in prayer. Why are you starting today? The devil is going to attack your prayer. He's going to attack your faithfulness in prayer. And for the most part, he's going to do whatever is necessary to convince you that you can't pray. He wants you to think you can't pray or that you can't be effective in prayer. If he can tie you up in knots in your prayer life, he's tied you up in knots. Does that make sense? So the first thing I want to say to you is, you pray more than you think you do, and you're probably better at it than you imagine. I mean that. You probably pray a lot more than you think you do, and I would say you're better at it than you imagine. Prayer is what we were created for. We were created for relationship with God. We were made to connect with him. This is not something that's contradictory to our nature as men and women created in God's image. This is what we're made to do. And I would say there is a deep place in your heart that never stops calling out to him. There's a part of you that is always calling out to him. You're made for this. As a pastor, I talk to people all the time who tell me, but, you know, preacher, I'm not religious. I'm not very religious. I'm just not religious. I had a couple come to me once for, a, for premarital counseling. I was going to do their wedding. And the first thing they told me is, understand, preacher, we're not very religious. We're just not religious. Okay, first off, this kind of cracks me up because why would two not religious people come to a Baptist preacher to get married? You understand? I'm not making a joke. I'm saying... I always believe there's something deep. There's something deep that, that seeks God in the human heart. And even people who say, I'm not very religious, there's something about them. They're drawn to the Lord. They're drawn to him. And couples, right before they get married, they often realize that they need a foundation. They need something stronger than themselves. They need a source of love outside themselves. And they come looking to the Lord for that. You understand? There's something deep in us that, that desires God. So when people say they're not very religious and they call me, I, I, I sort of begin to try to speak to something deeper. This particular couple said, we're not very religious. We don't go to church. We don't plan on coming to your church. We just want you to do our wedding. I said, that's fine. Just meet me and let's talk for, for several sessions. And that's what we were doing. It was probably session number two. I really started asking about their spiritual lives. And it turns out both the man and the woman both had gone to church as, as children and as teenagers. And they had actually both made salvation decisions when they were younger that were meaningful to them. They were both Christians, I guess you would say. But so far from God that now they would say, we're not religious at all. So I just asked a question. It's one of my favorite questions to ask non-religious people. If you have an atheist in your life, this is a good question to ask an atheist. I'm not kidding. I just 
got very quiet for a moment, and I said, let me ask you a question. Do you pray? The woman spoke first, and she said, yes, I pray. I pray every day. I said, what do you say? When you pray, what do you say? She said, I just ask God to forgive me. I just ask him to forgive me, and I just want him to be with me. I ask him to forgive me and to be with me. I said, dude, what about you? Do you pray? He said, yeah, I pray. I said, what do you ask for? He said, I just, I just need to know that God's watching over me. I want to know that he's watching over me. So I just pray to God every day to watch over me and protect me. Okay, do you understand? These are two people who describe themselves as not religious. Not religious. We don't want to come to your church. We, we don't intend to come to your church, but we just want to get married. Will you marry us? Not religious, they say. And yet, they both have a kind of prayer life. And I would say that, that until I asked the question, they weren't even all that conscious of that. I just want you to understand that there's something about the human heart. We pray, and we just almost can't even turn it off. Throughout most days, if you're like me, I'm constantly just shooting up a prayer to God. God, help me. God, be with me. Oh, God, forgive me. It's just a constant kind of exchange going up, always sending prayers up. It just comes from the bottom of my heart. I don't even know how to turn it off. And my hunch is you're the same way. You pray more than you think you do. You, you really can't turn this off. It is a steady stream of need that always flows back toward the only one who can fulfill your needs it's the Lord I say you pray more than you think you do I, I really would say that you do and I'd say you're more effective in it than you think you are at the very same time I want to tell you this you probably don't pray like you ought to you probably pray more than you think you do and you're probably better at it than you think you are but you don't pray like you ought to none of us does that's why it's so amazing in Scripture that, that Jesus' disciples, something about the way they see him pray. I don't know if they hear him pray. I, I don't know if, if Jesus frequently prayed out loud. I don't know. I just know that when the disciples saw him praying, they hungered for what he had. And they would come to him and say, Jesus, teach us. Teach us how to do that. Teach us how to pray like you pray. Teach us how to pray. The very fact that the disciples come to Jesus asking for lessons in prayer tells us something very, very basic, and that is we learn how to pray. We learn how to pray. Now, in some ways, as we talked with the children this morning earlier in this service, prayer is simple, and most of us, when we were children, we prayed like professionals. It's not that it's something difficult, but it is something that we can learn to do and we can learn to do better. We can all become better men and women of prayer. There are lessons that we can learn. We can always be growing in our prayer life. And this is what at this point in our church's life, I believe God really wants us to do. He's begging us to grow in our prayer life. At Woodburn Baptist Church, we've always been a church of prayer. But let's be honest, for a number of years now, we've fallen into a habit when we pray together. When we would pray together, most of our prayer time, if we spent 25, 30 minutes in a prayer meeting, 25 minutes was us talking, getting ready to pray, and then maybe three, four, five minutes would be us actually praying. 
I see something wrong with that. Now, it's wonderful that we have so many prayer requests to share. That's beautiful. I I love that that we're men and women and teenagers who care about our friends and our neighbors. I I love that that we can gather together and pray prayers for healing and and pray prayers for, for others' salvation. I love that, and I love that we can share those requests together. I just wanna say to you, as, as pastor, I feel like there's something wrong when we spend so much time getting ready to pray and so little time actually praying. Very little time actually praying. I think we need to learn how to pray. We need to learn new ways to pray. We gotta get better at this. There's no revival outside of praying. And if all we ever pray for are other people's livers and kidneys and tonsils, if that's all we pray for, other people's diseases, if all we pray for is is other people, if only kind of praying we do is intercession and we need to do intercession, but if that's all we do, I'm not sure we can ever grow as a church, growing in the depths of the fellowship with the Lord. There have got to be other ways for us to come and seek the Lord together. I think there are probably two ways that we learn to pray, two ways. The first is probably by imitating other people. Most of us as children, we learn to imitate the prayers that we have heard. And so if you were blessed to grow up with a praying dad, like I was, or a praying mom, if you're blessed to have praying parents, chances are you will learn to imitate their prayers. You'll imitate the prayers that you have heard. And as a matter of fact, if you grow up in church, if you grow up around the people of God, you will begin to imitate the prayers that you've heard at church. We often learn to pray by imitating the prayers that that we hear. Now, Now let me take it aside. That means whenever you're called on to pray in church out loud, it's a real responsibility. Others are gonna listen to you pray and they will imitate the way you pray. Now, in Baptist life, we don't have written down prayers. As a matter of fact, we're often very proud of the fact that we don't have written down prayers. But if you listen to us pray, you might as well write some of those prayers down because we imitate each other. I I, I love our ushers. I love the way our ushers pray. But if you notice in a Baptist church, there's a very typical usher's prayer. And how does it go? Lead, guide, and direct us. Yeah. Where do we learn to say lead, guide, and direct us? When we pray, we often say, lead, God and direct us. We, we imitate the phrases that we've heard each other say. So truly, we learn to pray by listening to one another. And so when we lead in prayer, it's a great responsibility to, to pray and really pray words from your heart. But understand, I don't think that's the most important way you learn to pray. You do imitate other people. But most importantly, you learn to pray by praying. You learn to pray by praying. You say, Brother Tim, I don't know how to pray. Then I just have one thing to say to you. Go pray. Go pray. Talk to God. Practice a little bit. Just pray. You learn to pray by praying. You got to pray. Break the silence. Talk to the Lord. So the disciples came to Jesus and they said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Other rabbis teach their disciples to pray. John the baptizer apparently taught his disciples to pray. Lord, you teach us to pray. Now, most of you have read this story, and you know that after that, Jesus kind of gives a model prayer. Now, you notice in Luke chapter 11 that we're reading this morning, it doesn't sound exactly like it sounds in the Gospel of Matthew. 
In the Gospel of Matthew, at the front end of Jesus' ministry, he gives a lesson in praying, and he gives what we call the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He gives it more or less like you've learned it in the Gospel of Matthew. But in the book of Luke, you'll notice it's not exactly like that. It's a little bit abbreviated. It's not exactly the same words that he gave in Matthew. Now, what do you think the point of that is? Is Jesus trying to confuse? Jesus forget his own prayer? Is Jesus making up the Lord's prayer as he goes? No, now listen to me. The reason that you see it this way in Scripture is that Jesus gave this lesson several times. It's obvious. On several different occasions, Jesus would give lessons in prayer. And he would give a model or example prayer, and it always sounded something like this. But Jesus wasn't giving word for word a prayer that you should memorize and recite like the Pledge of Allegiance. He wasn't giving you the only prayer you would need for your whole life. So if you learn this and say it, it's like a magic incantation that you can just pray over your life. That's not what Jesus gives. Now, it is a model prayer, and it's beautiful that we can memorize it and pray it together. But understand, when Jesus is teaching us how to pray, he's not just giving you one prayer to memorize and pray by rote. He's simply trying to give an example. He's trying to give a model of the kinds of things you would say, the kind of attitude that you would bring to your prayer. Do you understand? He's not trying to make this anything difficult. It's not hard. Jesus has said, when you pray, pray like this. And then notice, notice what's in this prayer. Notice the kinds of things Jesus says when you pray, but pray like this. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. That's how it goes in the Gospel of Luke. In Matthew, you probably learned, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is Jesus saying? What is that attitude that is expressed in those kinds of words? My friend, it's surrender. It's, it's humility. When you come to the Lord in prayer, do you understand? You have to surrender. You have to surrender your desires. You have to surrender your wants. You have to give up your will. Do you understand? Now, this is difficult for us, and honestly, it's the first lesson we need to learn in praying. When we pray, he's God, and you're not. He's God, and you're not. And that attitude must be reflected in your praying. You and I often come to prayer, and our only desire is to tell God what to do. We want to tell God what we want, and we consider that praying. I'm telling you, when you pray, you just got to pray like you can pray. But as you grow in prayer, you've got to learn that it's not about telling God what you want. That's not prayer. You're not God. You don't know what you need. God knows. That's why Henry Blackaby defines prayer as, as putting yourself before God Prayer is placing yourself before God so that you can discover what he wants. You're placing yourself before God in such a way that you can hear and understand what God wants out of your life and out of the world. And then you respond to that. Do you understand? It's total surrender. It is that attitude of God, I want what you want to be done. 
I want your will for my life. It's not my will, it's your will. I want your kingdom to come, not just in the world, but your kingdom come to me. Now, when God's kingdom comes to you, what does that mean? It's very, very simple. It just means in your life, he's the king. In your life, he's the king. When you say your kingdom come, you're asking God to take his rightful place on the throne of your life. That means that prayer, really, really simply, is the servant listening for instructions. And you're the servant. You're the servant. God does not exist to serve you. You exist to serve God. And so prayer is placing yourself before him in such a way where you discover what he wants. What he wants from your life. What he wants in the world. And then you respond to that. Blackaby says in prayer, you want God's will so desperately. You want God's will so completely that in your praying, you lay yourself on the altar. You lay yourself on the altar so that you yourself can become a part of what God wants to do in your life in the world. You lay yourself on the altar so that you yourself can be a part of the answer to your own prayers. Do you understand? It's surrender. It's total surrender. God, your will be done. You don't come to God to pry treats out of his hand. You don't come to God to tell him what you want. You come to God and you find out what he wants. And then you respond with your life to that. It's about surrender. Notice also the important place that, that sin and confession of sin and forgiveness of sin and avoiding the temptation to sin. Notice how all of these things are involved in, in all the instances when Jesus gives a model prayer. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. In every instance when Jesus says this is how you pray, he teaches his disciples to deal with the sin in their lives. To deal with the sin that's already present by confessing that, by repenting. Confession and repentance should be a part of all of your prayers because we're always sinning. You understand? But it's not just that. It's also the avoidance of sin. Lord God, don't let me yield to temptation. Help me, Lord, to walk the path you lay out for me. Keep me from sinning. Help me to avoid sinning. You understand, somehow dealing with the sin in our lives is, is always a part of the way Jesus instructed us to pray. Turn over to a verse that some of you know, James chapter 5, verse 16. Uh, turn, let's hear some pages flying. James 5, 16. In this letter, James is talking to the church about the power of prayer. It's really, really good. But notice this last part of chapter 5, verse 16. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. The earnest prayer of a, say the words, righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And see, we were afraid of that, weren't we? That's what we were afraid of, right there. That, that there are only certain people who get their prayers heard, and, and who are they? The righteous people, yeah. Your grandma. Yeah. That's why when you need somebody to pray for you, you go to five or six people because you go to righteous people. Because you have a feeling that there are only certain people God listens to. That's why you call the pastor and say, Brother Tim, Brother Warren, Brother Andrew, Brother Matt, pray for me. I know that God hears you when you pray. 
Is this what the scripture is teaching? The, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. I guess the question becomes, who are the righteous people? Are we just talking about your grandma? Are we just talking about the ladies who gather on Monday mornings and they pray? Just talking about the people who just pray these beautiful prayers, beautiful words with a Kleenex box and they're just bawling and praying and bawling and praying. Are we talking about just certain people who have amazing gifts in prayer? No, we're talking about the righteous. The earnest prayer of the righteous. Who would that be? Well, if you're a believer, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, if, if you have come to Christ for salvation, you understand, then you have his righteousness. The book of 2 Peter says that God has already given us everything we need to live a godly life. So understand, all the righteousness that you need is already in you. Christ died to give you that. You have his righteousness, all of it. Every one of you, if you know Christ, you have all of his righteousness. God has already put that in you. God has given you everything you need to live a godly, a righteous life. You have the righteousness of, of Christ. The problem is not that you don't have it. The problem is that you don't live from it. You don't live from it and you don't pray from it. You have all of the righteousness of Christ given to you by the purchase of his blood, and yet you live like you don't have it at all. You, you don't live a, a righteous life. Do you understand? It comes right back around to the sin in you, the, the sin in me. So please understand, it's not that prayer is reserved for people who have their lives all together. You don't. I, I don't either. And it's not that prayer is reserved for people who are perfect, people who don't sin as much as you do. We all sin. We all sin. It's not about our righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness. But he's already given us all of his righteousness. We just have to live our lives out of that. We have to live our lives from the righteousness he gives us. Are you listening? Blackaby says that, that, that when it comes to prayer, we, we have to listen for what God wants, and then we respond first with our character. Blackaby says we respond to God first with our character, with our actions, with our lives. You understand? Scripture says we pray without ceasing. We pray without ever stopping. That means that in Christ, my whole life becomes a prayer. It's not just my words. It's also my actions. When I live out of the righteousness that Christ gives me, do you understand? When I live out of that righteousness, my whole life becomes a response to God. My whole life is worship. My whole life is prayer. So you pray first with your actions. You pray with your obedience. You pray by living out of the righteousness that Christ gives you, and then you can pray with words. But you can't divide the two. Your prayer life is in one piece with your life. And God's looking for people who will live out of that righteousness that Christ gives. And people who will pray out of that righteousness that Christ gives. The earnest prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You pray with your whole life, not just your words. I love what comes next. I know that when things are in red letters and when you're reading the Bible, you're just, you're just programmed to be very, very serious. But you've got to understand, Jesus is telling a joke here. 
Jesus is telling a joke. He's not making a joke about prayer. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that when Jesus told this story about the friend at midnight, his audience would have thought it was very funny. In the Middle East to this day, this would be a funny story. I know you don't get it. But I'm telling you, Jesus had people cracking up at this point. This is a humorous illustration. And his point is, nobody would do this. Nobody would do this. In Jesus' day, and still to this day in the Middle East, hospitality is so important that nobody would do this. If you had company come in and you had to go to your friend at midnight and say, please help me, I've got a friend at my house, I have company and I have no food to offer, can you please spare some bread? You understand? Hospitality is so important, nobody would turn that request down. This is the point Jesus is making. This is why this story works with his disciples because nobody would say, leave me alone. It would never happen. If you go to your friend and say, I need your help in the Middle East, they're never going to say, leave me alone. I'm in bed. I'm sleeping in my boxers. The whole family's asleep. Leave us alone. It's never going to happen. That's why the illustration works. That's why Jesus can say, you know what? If you knock long enough, and that's the key phrase in his story, if you knock long enough, eventually... He'll come down in his boxers if for no other reason just to make you go away. That's Jesus' story. It's supposed to be funny. I know you don't get it, but it's supposed to be funny because that would never happen. But understand, Jesus is not saying that God is like that friend that you have to just stand out there and beg. That's not his point. Jesus isn't saying that when you come to God in prayer, he says, Leave me alone. Leave me alone. Go get it yourself. That's not what Jesus is saying. God is not reluctant in answering our prayers. That's why Jesus says, if that friend who's a rat fink would eventually come down and give you what you want, how much more, those are the key words, how much more, how much more would your heavenly Father give to those who ask? It's that, If you keep on knocking long enough, though, Jesus wants to make a point about prayer with that phrase, if you keep on knocking long enough. Those verses that come next are familiar to you, ask, seek, and knock. But understand, the way Jesus phrases these words, it's not just like you ask once and then you give up. It's not that you seek for a while and then you get discouraged and you stop. It's not that you knock a few times and then assume that God's never going to answer you. No, Jesus is, uh, the force of his language here is that you ask and keep on asking. There's persistence to it. You you seek, but you keep on seeking. You knock, but you keep on knocking. It's one of the mysteries of prayer, but but it's it's the truest thing I know to tell you. When you pray, you don't necessarily see all the time the answers come as quickly as you wish. Sometimes it takes time. You have to ask and keep asking. I can't exactly explain that because we all know that God can do anything he pleases and he can answer your prayer the the moment you pray it. He could drop it in, in a box out of the sky if he wanted to, but he doesn't. He almost never does. The real fruits of prayer, the answers to prayer, often have to come after a long period of asking and and, and continuing to ask, and and seeking and continuing to seek, and, and knocking and continuing to knock. Do you understand? It's like we have to beat a path to God's door in our praying, and we do. 
We pray day after day after day, and we continue to take that same path. We take that same path to God's door, and we just beat that path to God's door. And I'm telling you, sometimes it really is exhausting. It's exhausting to pray and pray and pray and feel like the answer never comes. We just beat that path to God's door. We continue to go day after day after day and we ask and we keep on asking and we seek with all of our hearts and we keep on seeking and we knock and we knock until our knuckles bleed. Why is it? Why is it that even in Jesus' lessons in praying, he says you're going to have to learn persistence. You're going to have to learn how to stay with it. You're going to have to learn how to beat a path to God's door. So what's that about? Why must I wear a path to God's door. Why must I knock until my knuckles bleed? Why must I ask and ask and ask until I am so weary of asking why? Uh, Pastor named Frederick Beekner says an amazing thing. He says that prayer truly is beating a path to God's door. That's his phrase. But Frederick Beekner says that, that the thing about prayer is that we beat that path to God's door. You beat that path by praying, by asking and seeking and knocking. You, you beat a path to God's door. Frederick Beekner says you do that with your praying because, because down that path that you beat with your praying, that's the path that God will travel when he comes to you. I like that. The, the path that I beat with my praying is the path that God will travel when when he comes to answer me. Because you've got to understand, there is always one answer to all of your prayers. Whatever you think you're asking for, whatever it is that you think you need, there is really only one answer. And God always answers our prayers in the very same way. When you pray, he gives you himself. Do you understand? When you pray, the answer is always for God to give you himself. The path you beat to God's door is the path that he travels. He answers your prayer with himself. There's a game that we play with our kids sometimes where you have treats in your hand, like pennies maybe, or gum, or candy, and and, uh, and you show it to them so they can see it, then you make a fist, and, and you let them come, and they start trying to pry it out of their hands. It's kind of a fun game with the kids, and they, they try to pry your fingers, and they sit up in your lap the longest time, and they twist, and they work, and, and they just try to pry, and then finally they'll pry your fingers open, they'll snatch the treats, they'll push your hand aside, and they're out of your lap, they're gone. That's how a lot of us approach praying. We're just trying to snatch treats out of God's hand. And we think by our words, by our persistence, that somehow we're going to pry what we want away from God. He's reluctant. He's not exactly willing. But, but if we pray, if we find the words, if we just continue to pry, eventually we can snatch the treats and, and, and we can go on our way. You're missing the point. Prayer is not about getting treats out of God's hand. You must want God, not what you can get from God. You must want God. What you're asking for 
is himself. What you're seeking is, is God himself. What you're knocking for is for the door to be open so that you can be together in fellowship and intimacy. The answer to every prayer is God himself. So understand, in your praying, as you see the treats in God's hand, you think that he holds what you need and what you want. And so you're praying, God, I, I want to A in biology. God, I need you to fix my marriage. God, I need you to fix what's wrong with my kids. God, I need you to pay my bills. God, I need you to heal my body. God, I, I, I need you. I need you to forgive me. God, I, I need you to help me. God, I, I need you. We just continue to work for the treats out of his hand. And when we feel like we pray, that hand open and we snatched those treats we're gone but do you understand do you understand when you pray when you pray and God stretches out his hand to you don't just snatch the treats from his hand do you understand when God extends his hand to you take his hand take his hand not the treats in his hand, not what you think you can get from God, because what you really need is God. When you pray, God will stretch out his hand to you. Take his hand. The answer to everything you could pray, the answer to everything you want, the satisfaction of all your desires are found in Him. So talk to Him. Break the silence. Pray as you can, not as you can't. Just pray. Pray with the words that you have. Pray. If you're angry, it's going to be an angry prayer. He's a big God. You're not going to scare Him. If your heart is broken, you may pray and weep and weep and weep. You just go right ahead. If you're guilty, you'll be praying prayers of confession and repentance. You just pray on. God is wanting all of his children to come home to him. You pray and you just keep on praying. For a while it seems like he's not listening. For a while it seems like nothing's happening. But you don't understand there's an awful lot happening. Because in your praying, it's not that God's going to do so much for you. It's that God wants to do things inside of you. And as you pray, it's not so much that your circumstances change right away, but it's your heart that changes. Your heart changes as you continue to lay yourself on the altar before him and surrender to him and seek him. Understand? He answers all of your prayers the very same way when you call out to him he gives you himself when you learn to want God and desire him above everything else you will have everything you want pray with me God, we don't know how to pray. As a church, Lord, we're still infants learning how to pray. As a pastor, Lord, I'm embarrassed. My inability to pray. 
God, we still come to you trying to snatch treats from your hand, thinking we can pry with our words somehow your reluctant fingers to let go and give us what we want, Lord, but teach us that everything we want is found in you. Oh, God, I pray in our prayers we'll stop asking and seeking, Lord, simply our own way, simply our own solutions to our own problems. Lord, I pray that what we ask for would be your presence. What we seek, Lord, would be your grace. What we knock and and long for, Lord, would be intimacy with you, fellowship with you. God, there are hearts in this congregation that are hardened. People, Lord, who imagine that they can't pray, Lord, people who've long given up trying, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would bring us back to prayer. Lord, I pray that you would bring us back to our knees, Lord, that you would break our hearts, that you would stir our hearts, Lord, that we have only one desire, and that is a desire for you and your will, your reign. You're sitting on the throne of our hearts. Lord Jesus, some of us have long ago let the grass grow up on the path, our path of our prayer life. I pray, Lord, that we will begin once more to beat that path to your door, to beat a solid path, Lord, every day with our prayers, knowing, Lord, that that path we beat that leads to your door will be the path that you travel when you come to us to revive us and to satisfy the hunger of our souls. Lord Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us, Lord, to pray so that we can pray. We ask these things in Jesus' name.